And in Romans 5, and although it's not just starting in Romans 5, but we spent some time and we saw how in Romans 5, Paul just eloquently starts to lay out this amazing picture of our condition and our solution. And he introduces grace. And he has this picture of one man, and because of one man doing this, one man did this, and, and he talked about Adam, the first Adam and then the last Adam, and how the last Adam didn't just satisfy, but he did so much more. And if you take a few moments to study or to read Romans, any, just about any letter from Paul, Paul is a masterful writer. And the Holy Spirit, the scriptures are inspired by the Holy Spirit. So it's not just Paul's penmanship. It's the moving or the breathing of the Holy Spirit. But the Holy Spirit uses each one of us as our particular personalities and our particular giftings. And Paul has this amazing eloquence, this amazing ability, and he lays out this argument or this case and as you read it, you find that he just starts to flow. And he starts, in, and we started, we joined it in, Roman, in Romans 5, where we saw the news of grace. And these things that God did because of Christ, Christ being the one who paid the price and made all these provisions, and he uses words like abound, excessive, great. And he compares our condition with the promises of God. And in fact, actually, it's not our condition because our condition is actually in grace. But he shows a picture of what was and what is. And then he gets into chapter 6, and, and it's amazing because chapter 5, you get euphoric, you get excited, you get, wow, this is amazing. And then chapter 6 starts and it says, what should we do? Should we continue in sin that grace may abound? Because I'll tell you something, grace abounds more than sin. And so because of that, he said, you don't just keep sinning so that grace can abound. But now there's a responsibility of walking in grace. And Paul is, is weaving this amazing quilt or tapestry. And he's laying foundational colors in this tapestry. And it's, I just find it amazing because as you read and you continue reading, it's like he's going forward, but then he takes a couple steps back and he says, oh, don't you remember what this was? And he pulls a string from the previous chapter back into that thread. And so in chapter 6, he talks about how God and our responsibility to the grace that God has given us and our walk. And what he's doing is he's basing that on the passage of chapter 5. And he gives this amazing discourse in chapter 6 saying, no, we, we don't live like that anymore. This is how we should live. And he's talking about dying to self. Then he gets to chapter 7, one of the most complicated chapters or complex chapters. 
And he, and he goes, and it's interesting because when you read through chapter 7, he introduces the word me, myself, and I. The trinity of me. Quite frankly, I probably disagree with myself more than I disagree with anybody else. But he says, I, 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 in chapter 7. I want to do this, and I don't. And I mess up, and then I end up going back. And, and at the end of the chapter, he goes, oh, wretched man that I am. Who can save me? And he says, oh, but thanks be because of Jesus Christ. And then last week, we jumped into chapter 8, where it starts, there's no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. And Paul is giving a picture of our new position, our new status, our new is in Christ. And how we're to live. I'm here to tell you today, you live according to the grace that God has given you. And if you make a mistake, grace is there to take care of it, but don't continue in it. And we see this, and, and it's just amazing because as you spend time, and I've spent a lot of time in the last month just reading these four or five chapters, and it's like he just keeps pulling back. Go says, hey, let's take this, remember, remember, what happened? And he progresses from the, the, the sin that Adam had to the resurrection and the power of Christ. And then he moves forward a bit and he talks about victory and, and through the Spirit. But then he goes back and he says, now we don't live according to the flesh. And, and, he, and it's like he's, he's going back, but then he's moving forward. Then he's coming back. Then he's moving forward. And he's pulling these things back and forth from previous verses and previous chapters. It's amazing how he is developing and processing and building that statement, that argument, that case. And that brings us up now into chapter 8. And I want to read about five verses. And then if you look on your notes, I want to just look at what it looks like being in the family that God has for us. So if you've got your Bibles, if you could turn to Romans 8. Can somebody throw me a water there? Just throw it. I can catch. And if I can't catch, you can pray for me. <laughs> I guess we shouldn't just ask for additional healing because of stupidity of trying to catch something that you can't catch. So I want to start in Romans 8, and I want to read about five verses. And what I've said, I want you to kind of see how he is now progressing and moving forward in our life of grace. I, I, I think this, this is just marvelous how he writes this. When I was in college, I took a course on how to write a letter to get results, a business letter. And there is a philosophy and there is a whole psychology behind writing to get or create responses. And this writing is just, it is just majestic. 
And he's writing this, and it's, and it's like he, he adds something, and then he goes back, and then he adds something again, then he comes back. And here again, he's starting to build on already what he's done. And he, and he starts by going in verse 12, he says, so then, which is kind of like the therefore. So you, you don't live under obligation, you don't live under condemnation because you're in Christ Jesus. So he says, so then, brethren, we're under obligation. Not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For you, if you live according to the flesh, you must die. But if the, by the Spirit you are putting to death the deeds of the body, you will live. So he's now moved from there's no condemnation to those who are Christ Jesus and walking. He goes, now... There's an obligation. Do you know that you and I have an obligation to Christ because of the grace that he gave us? You and I have an obligation to live our life according to the grace that God has given us. I have an obligation. I am constrained and compelled to live my life according to the principles of the Word of God because of the grace that God has given and extended towards me. I do not get away with doing whatever I want. I do not live according to my thoughts, my ideas, or my nasty I thoughts and my nastiness. I live according to what the word compels me to. And there are times when I have to do something that I don't want to do, but the word says I must forgive. And I am compelled by grace to do what Christ has done for me. I do not want you to walk away thinking I can live like I want because of grace. No, I live according to the word of God because of grace. I have this ability to go beyond what I could not do or go before. There are times in our lives where we have these moments, pinnacles, points where grace can be explained or expressed better by how we live than what we say. There have been times when I wanted to have a bad attitude, but grace compelled me to forgive. I wanted to wallow in my frustration because that justified my anger or that justified my behavior. And I could not because grace says, no, you've been forgiven and now you forgive. And I think sometimes we live a Christianity that we define instead of the Christianity that God defines according to the scriptures. And here he says, you have an obligation You say, well, I'm under grace. You have an obligation to live according to the grace that God has extended to you. I am amazed at the distinctives of faith. Do you know we're called believers for a reason? Because we believe. 
There are distinctives that we have as followers of Christ. We have a distinctive of hope. There is a hope that I have for today, but it's also the hope is actually a favored expectation or a favorable expectation. It's not a hope to win a lottery. It's a hope in what Christ has done. That people who do not believe in God do not have that hope. And I hope, my hope is not just for now, but my hope is also for the future. That I will be with Christ and I will spend eternity with him. With my, and I don't even, I was going to say with my jet pack going all, I don't think I'm going to need a jet pack. I'll just be able to spread my wings and fly and explore the universe. We have distinctives as believers. Grace is one of those distinctives. That's a difference between a believer and a non-believer is that a believer has grace, favor. Salvation is the greatest picture of grace. I was unable to do anything, but because of grace, through faith, I receive the promise of salvation and the gift that he has for me. And these are distinctives. When Peter writes that you are a royal priesthood, a peculiar people, when somebody looks at you, do they see some distinctives in you that they don't have? Because grace causes us to have a distinction. It's not just to be here for an hour and a half, two hours Sunday morning to do your religious duty and then go home and live however you want to live. You have a distinctive that causes you to have an obligation to walk according to the word of God and to the scriptures and how he is designed. And you say, I can't do it. You can't do it by, by the power of the Holy Spirit, another distinctive. You can live according to grace. I didn't expect to spend that much time on that. but So if you're living according to the flesh, you must die. I like this. He says, if you live to the, according to the flesh, you're going to die. And if you live according to the Spirit, you'll put to death those things, and then you'll live. So either one involves dying, just one of them comes with life attached to it. Living by the Spirit means that you and I consciously decide that there are things I will not do because they profit me nothing. What I'm doing this morning is I am teaching you and causing you to get extra fiber in your body and strength inside of you that you will be determined that I'm not going to just do whatever I want this week. I'm going to do what the Word says. And if that's contrary to the way I feel, contrary to the way I want, contrary to what I think, I will do it because I'm compelled and constrained by grace to not live that old way, but I have an obligation. I owe it to grace. Yeah. 
I am in debt to God. I got this beautiful chart and I haven't even got to it yet. But watch how Paul is weaving and moving and adding these components into this discussion. And now he's bringing it into, we don't, he's already talked about living in the flesh and living by the Spirit. He's talked about that a number of times in the last few chapters. But now all of a sudden he goes, for all who are led, being led by the Spirit, these are the sons of God. And he's just added another component to a life of grace. And he says, listen, if you're led by the Spirit, you're being led by the Spirit, you are the sons of God. Who here is being led by the Spirit? Look at somebody and say, I'm a child of God. I'm a son or I'm a daughter of God. And just watch, and he goes, for you haven't received, and, and then he just keeps, he kind of introduces that, he throws that out there, he's your sons of God, and then he, he says, now let's expand that a little bit. Talking about distinctives. Living a life of grace, living a life as a believer, should be different than living the way I used to live. I don't just, I had a guy once say, you know what, David, um, I'd like you to be kind of like a spiritual voice in my life because I need to add that into my life to have a balance. And he told me, he says, I've got this taken care of, this taken care of, that taken care of, but my spiritual component isn't, so I'd like to have you part of that. He, it, that's not the way believing in God works. It's not a get out of jail or get out of a hail card. It's living for Christ card. And Paul says, so if, if you're being led by the Spirit, and he's talked about living by the Spirit for a couple chapters already. He introduced living by the Spirit. We don't live by the flesh. We live. He introduced that. Now he, he kind of says, oh, by the way, we're just going to add on top of that. We're just going to build that up a bit more. He says, so you haven't received the spirit of adopt, a slavery leading to fear again, but you've received a spirit of adoption as sons by which we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we're children of God. And if children, heirs also, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him so that we may also be glorified with him. He gives this amazing picture of the family of grace. Grace chooses you. You did not choose grace. I hate to burst your bubble, but none of you were smart enough. Boy, you're going to leave today going, man, he hit me over the head. He told me I wasn't smart enough. It's because of grace choosing you. I'm trying to understand salvation and I'm trying to understand some of the verbiage we attach with salvation. Now I understand that we accept Christ, but sometimes I think, my goodness, doesn't that make us sound like we're smarter than him? I'm trying to understand. It says he stands at the door 
and knocks. Grace chooses you. Look at somebody and say, I wasn't smart enough. <laughs> Nobody did that. <laughs> you were not smart enough. I'll do it for you. But grace chose you. Yeah, everybody says amen to that. I had no solution. I had no solution. I could not fix it. And I like fixing things. Duct tape would not help. Glue couldn't help. Trying it this way, trying that. Nothing could fix it. And then grace came into my life and fixed what I could not fix. So I want to show you the power of the family of grace in your life. And I've written them down here for you, a bunch of them, and I'm just going to go through them. I've got about six minutes left. Do anybody here believe in miracles? Okay, well, we're going to go for one. If you have your notes there, when Paul introduces the subject of adoption, the word adoption was actually a Roman term. You don't find it in the Old Testament. It was not a Jewish term, but he's writing to a Jewish, a, a Roman nation, a Roman people. In fact, when you study it, adoption is not something that's shameful, but it was very open in the Roman culture. Anybody heard the person's name, Augustus Caesar? Do you know he was adopted? And then the person that followed him was a guy named Tiberius. You know he was adopted? So the, the term adoption in the Roman culture was not something that we today almost feel bad about in some cases. Or I'm, I, I got, it, it's actually a term where that there, there was a placing. And, it, and if you look at the definition, it's placing into family. So when Paul refers to adoption, it's not a shameful thing. It's a very powerful picture of what God has done where he's taken you and placed you into his family. And what I want you to do is he says, I haven't given you the spirit of fear or the slavery or the bondage. I don't want you to go back into that, the spirit of slavery, but I want to give you the spirit of adoption. So he's got these two contrasting things. And what I want to do is I want to take the next four minutes and 21 seconds and read 300 words to you that show you the description between the two. So strap on your seatbelts. In the adoption, you're accepted into the beloved. When you have slavery and fear, you have no relationship. In adoption, you're chosen by God. Slavery and fear, you're sold into slavery. In adoption, in the family, you're led by the Spirit. And some of these words are actually out of this verse or verses. You're led by the Spirit. Can you imagine that in today's world, being led by the Spirit? We're often driven by rage. 
a slave is driven. In adoption, you serve from that place. In a slavery, you work for that place or that person. Do you see some... Sometimes these are just subtle little differences. But this is where we live. I live as an adopted son in the family of God. So I don't live in fear. I serve because I'm a son. I don't work to earn. Adoption is love. Slavery is fear. Adoption has secure peace, rest. Slavery involves fear, insecurity, uncertainty, unsettledness. When you adopt it in a family, you complete and you support. You don't compete and divide. Too many times in the Christian body, we're competing with each other when we should be completing and supporting. In the adoptive family, you just be. When I was born, I had no say in the matter. I, I, was, I was born a Studenberg. I was born that way. I did nothing to earn my dad's favor or to earn his name. And that's in the same capacity, adoption is that. In fact, it's a, to me, it's even a more amazing picture because it's, I'm chosen. God looked out and said, Stunenberg, I like you. <laughs> you laugh. <laughs> and my brother giggles. When you're in the adoption, you receive, whereas a slave earns. In adoption, you know instinctively. My children, they just know. I, I don't even have to say something. Sometimes I just have to look, and they know, and other people don't have a clue. Why did you do that? Oh, that's what he meant. Ah, why? Because I'm adopted. I'm in that family. I know there's an intimacy with me and my father. Whereas a slave, they've got to be told. This, this is the picture that Paul is painting of the grace that God gave for us. In the adoption, the son and the daughter, they produce, whereas the slave performs. We saw that, how the Holy Spirit wants to produce things in us. Here's one. In the adoption, and you see this in the passage, you stand with and you suffer with the family. I've got to be honest with you. There will be times, and this verse says, when you're adopted, you're going to have the glory, but you also there is some suffering. But the suffering has no comparison to what the glory is. Quit looking at a moment in time to a lifetime of eternity. Stands and suffers, whereas the slave leaves and flees, and I spelt that correctly. Adoption, heirs are full and complete. In brackets, I wrote participants in common. The word actually means when you're a co-heir with Christ, you are a participant in common. 
what Jesus did, you and I are eligible, capable, and graced to do. In fact, Jesus said, greater things will you do. When you're adopted, you know your place. There's a present and future glory, and there's life. Whereas when you're in slavery, you never know where or if you belong, and you have nothing to look forward to, and there's death. The grace, this amazing grace, makes you part of the family. I want to connect this to our worship that we just experienced. We can worship and enjoy those moments and those times together because of what Christ has done for us. And what's amazing is you are able to come to him because of his grace as a son and a daughter, and you cry out, Daddy, Daddy. The most tight term of endearment. And he is there with his arms wide open to give you what you need at that moment. So this morning, I believe when you came forward for prayer, you were you may not have realized it because you may have been walking in your pain, you may have been walking in your sorrow, you may have been walking in your condition, but I believe with everything that's in me, grace came and took that and gave a gift to you, which was his ability, his health, his provision, and you get that because you're part of the family of God.